um, I'm sitting in the uh, scenic hotel Jerome, uh, scenic because if I look out the window, I can see Aspen Mountain. We are in Aspen, Colorado. We being me and my esteemed colleague, the great bearded man, Curtis Robinson. How are you, Curtis? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, good to be in Aspen, right? It is good to be in Aspen. And we... uh, Special, we got a special show here today. Uh, we've, yes. We we get to talk to a lot of people. You talk to more than me. I just kind of bop in every once in a while on the Hunter Gatherers podcast uh, because I'm a little. I don't think you can afford me full time. I think you know that we yeah. can't afford can't you afford full-time. me full time. But I am here today because yeah. it was Aspen. You can lure me with yeah. things like Aspen. Yeah, that's true. And uh, sitting with us is a a. a, a a gentleman who uh, does uh, uh, amazing work for the New York Times as the chief Washington correspondent for the New York Times, Mr. Carl Holtz. Great to be here. Good what to fun. see you, man. Good to yeah. be out of good to be out of DC. I have to say. Can we get a chinking <laughs> cheers here? We're yeah, having. Yeah, yeah. We are in Aspen. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Come on. Yeah, it is a Hunter Thompson. Yeah, podcast. it's a Hunter Thompson podcast in Aspen. If we weren't drinking. I don't know, but this is Sancerre. Would he, I don't know how favorably he would uh, look at that. The doctor would have walked in with a tall glass of, uh, of Chivas, probably, mm-hmm. yeah, and brought it in by himself. Yeah, but he was also a Chartreuse fan. Let's not forget. Green or yellow? Green. Okay. Could you mix those together? Green and yellow? Yeah. I couldn't, but you, you could. Know, God knows I, I one, once upon a time, I did a, a, an event at L.A. Food and Wine, and... I, it was a, a booze and barbecue event, and there was a bartender up there, and I was trying to work the crowd. And so I, you know, you're trying to, it was like an hour and 15 minute long thing. I'm trying to figure out how to get the time. So I started doing a quiz with the audience, and they would come up, and if they got it right, whatever, we'd have to do a shot of green char- chartreuse. I did about 17 shots of oh green my chartreuse in, well, the, in the course of an hour. And by the last one, I almost vomited yeah. on stage I'm in front of 250 people. In there, yeah. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about green chartreuse. Sorry, what are we here to talk about, Curtis? We are here to talk about uh, Hunter Thompson legacy. You know, the stories of Hunter, <clears throat> and I'm one of them, is, um, you know, I was happily in pre-law until I read Hunter Thompson. And then I started a, a, a ride into journalism. And uh, I think that you, you see that happen, the impact time and time again. And one of the things that uh, to tee that up here and uh, uh, we're just upstairs from the J bar and uh, sort of holy ground. We're also in a space time thing because, you know, next week as we're recording, this is the 15th anniversary of uh, you know Hunter leaving the party, as I like to say. <laughs> so one of the things I, w- I would like to, to ask you and I kind of, know some of the answer is uh, what what was the role of hunter's work uh for you because yeah. you're not you're not some a lot of people come on who have uh who knew hunter personally but the legacy with you is is, is the legacy he wanted by the way which was his writing yeah i think that i wish i had known hunter personally although i'm not sure i could survive it i'm easily led astray but the then I, you would not <coughs> i you think would not that i think that the book Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail and and from 72 and also Fear and Loathing in Vegas. Those were uh, inspirations for me. They led me into political journalism. And I always tell young political reporters coming up, you have to team up Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail along with the book Boys on the Bus by Timothy Krause covering, basically covering Hunter, covering the campaign in some ways. And between those two, you really have this great view of 
old style campaign coverage and I read that I read a lot of Tom Wolfe too uh, the Pump House Gang was a book of his short stories about the surfers in San Diego. And I read these guys, and I was like, I want to do that. And, of course, you know, the fear and loathing on the campaign trail, the wildness aspects of it, too. Timothy Krause wrote, here's sort of the reality version, you know, as opposed to uh, taking acid and covering the, and then, the know, campaign. But these, uh, I think for me and a lot of people, I graduated from high school in 1972, uh, was able to vote in my first presidential election that year. That was the first time that you could be 18 and vote. And I think people, a lot of people who came into journalism in my era definitely were pushed into it by Hunter Thompson. Do you, do you find uh, in the Washington Press Corps that if you bring up Hunter, I mean, when you go back and you say you were, you were out in Aspen and, and, and you did a Hunter Thompson podcast, it's odd to me how many uh, of the Washington reporters uh, are still sort of attuned to the Hunter Well, I think vibe. the movie, uh, the Johnny Depp movie, uh, I've got a 24-year-old son who I said, who's going to meet me out here, and he's going to go, you guys will meet him, he's going to go skiing. Uh, he knows a lot about Hunter Thompson. And I said, well, before you come out, go back and read a couple of the books so you can talk intelligently with people. But a certain kind of person in D.C. would know about Hunter Thompson, but... There's a lot of young reporters now who don't even know, you know, who let's the say, Beatles are. Yeah. Or David Broder, who, you know, was a big, interesting character in in the, both of those books. And, uh, you know, I think there isn't there a scene in the book where uh, Hunter goes into the Washington Post newsroom to meet uh, David Broder and David Broder kind of hustles them out of there and goes to a bar. You know, there's David Broder in the you know, the esteemed political writer in the Post, and all of a sudden Hunter Thompson's in his office. Uh, I, people, people know who Hunter Thompson is, but I think he's, for people of my generation, and there's not that many of us left, honestly, uh, still doing political reporting. I think it's got a real resonance with us. Can you imagine what... I, I try to think what how Hunter would be reacting to what's going on now and can you imagine him oh covering gosh. donald trump or i would going really to- really like to read that story in rolling stone i i just can't imagine what a clash of well, t- wild trump telling him to because basically you watch these press conferences you know the helicopter press conferences right and when he just shuts them down like you know basically either tells him to shut up or and i i'm trying to envision what how hunter would have handled the the way that trump uh browbeats the media and the way that he controls uh yeah and I, I i just i can't i almost would think that he would be tackled by the secret service at some point like going after well him. i was actually had that vision in my head as you were even before you yeah. said it i said boy there's going to be a physical collision of some sort i mean but hunter thompson's coverage of politics was politics as a surreal experience well there can be no more surreal political experience than we're experiencing right now I hadn't really thought about it. This is an age that's crying out for Hunter Thompson. And there's been a bunch of people who've tried to write like that, uh, and mainly on the conservative side more than the liberal side, you know, the sense of humor. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke is somebody that I think sure. of who writes like that. But I, no one has really been able to give it the same zest. And maybe the drugs helped, uh, but... Well, Taibbi in a way, but then... Like, it's different, but, though. But Taibbi's, you know... <clears throat> I, I, it's funny. I was a big fan of Taibbi, and now I'm. I'm. I feel like he's going in a, a direction now with his writing, where, uh, or the way he covers things, where he's so 
fucking cynical. Like, yeah, he's I think so cynical. His and coverage of the meltdown and the financial stuff, I thought was was amazing. Was excellent. Was and it he, the squid? What did yeah, he call yeah, the, the, uh, the blood? The vampire squid. Vampire that, squid. So I really yeah. did think it was good. Uh, he's unhappy with the. I don't know him. Uh, he's unhappy with the media right now. A lot of people are, and he's he seems to be more focused on that. But no one. I it it's just great to think about Trump and Hunter Thompson sitting down for an interview after. Uh, and so Trump, interestingly, doesn't drink. And none of that drinking or uh, so. And he's always said, wow, just think what I'd be like if I did drink. Well, uh, but that that would be a momentous clash. Those two guys. Well, you know, what source do we have for the fact that he doesn't drink? Uh, Well, I think it's his own thing. I think it's so suddenly we believe him. Well, this is longstanding. I've had I've had people question it. I have no idea whether he drinks or not. He did have a brother who uh, died. Uh, basically, I think of alcoholism. He's been consistent on it. I'll say. Yeah. So when I remember, you know, I cover the alcohol beat in my day job, and uh, you know, I remember when Trump vodka came out, you know, and the press kit had, you know, of course, a bottle of Trump. Vodka. It's it's the best vodka ever made. And the <laughs> quotes by him, and then it's I re- perfect. So I remember reaching out to the publicist, and this is 15 years ago, saying, "But he doesn't drink, right?" So how little did I know that this was going to become everything that everything that was going to come after that, which is. You know, and it was kind of like the best people tell me, you know, yeah. like the best people tell me that this is the best vodka. Mm. I actually went when I wrote my book, American Wino, I went to the Trump winery uh, in outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. And this is about two years before he was elected. So it was before he was we knew he was going to run for president. And the same thing, like everything in there was like Trump. You know, he has declared that this is the best wine in America. He doesn't drink. He's like, yeah, this, this makes about as much sense as Melania heading up but the cyber maybe bully. He, uh, maybe he has yeah. a really great palate, and he just took a few drops of it. Yeah, it, that could be. Now, now, how? And I don't even know how you would answer this, but but how how do you stay focused? How do you cover this? It's got to be exhausting to be there every day, right? Yeah, I would. The impeachment trial, which was a real focus of mine, because I kind my beat in some ways is the intersection of Congress and the administration. So this was a, a dead-on moment for me. And, uh, you know, we all got terribly exhausted. It was a real grind uh, just day after day. And it's hard. I mean, you can find yourself really sinking into despair some days. When you feel like, an, an, and, this is, and I, this is what I admire about what you're doing, but I also wonder when you already know, let's face it, anybody with a brain we already knew what was going to happen. Even without a brain, yeah. We, yeah, we knew what was the outcomes, but yet you have to cover it. That's the surreal thing, is that you have to cover this as though it isn't. In fact, the other day, uh, I was watching Elizabeth Warren was on, uh, I think it was on Maddow or something, and she was just talking about uh, William Barr and what's going on, and she's like, well, you know, we have remedies, like we could impeach him. True. And, and I'm just sitting here going, who gives a shit? Are we going to do this again? Like, we already know the 67 votes is a high threshold. However, I do think there's parts of this that were very instructive to the public and will help them make their decision. And both parties know this. Right, there was not going to be throwing the president out for the first time. But there was a test of, were Republicans willing to have more witnesses? How can they push this off? What's the political impact on them? What's the political impact on the Democrats? The Democrats, Nancy Pelosi did not want to do this, and certainly at the start, and you know, events took their course. So at the end of the day, we start to ask these questions. Did this hurt the Democrats? Did, the, did it hurt the Republicans? Everybody played their cards, 
even though they knew who was going to win the pot yeah. at the end. But so what are the ramifications of that? And I think we won't find out until November. And there's a long way between now and then. In Washington, we all sort of thought, okay, impeachment's over. Let's just get, you know, focus on the campaign. Maybe things will settle down. They have not settled down one bit. It's still going. It's still going. And Trump likes that. He's the king of chaos. He wants this chaos. And he just drags everyone into it with him. So instead of things slowing down, it actually seems like we just it hasn't even stopped. What's going on with the Justice Department, uh, his firing all these people, uh, how will the Democrats react? They literally are talking about impeaching somebody again. I wrote a story the other day that said... They're already fighting over the rules for the next impeachment because people <laughs> looking down the road, this is not going to, there's, okay, so we learned this in that last impeachment, let's change this rule. So we're kind of stuck in this feedback loop, and I think we're going to be there until November. Well, and the other thing you, the other challenge I find is that they try to establish narratives, okay, right. that are, this is what's going on. And that, in my mind, it's just, it's, it's like banging your head against the wall because at any given moment, it can change with him. One tweet can change everything, you know, and... and Yeah, he lives in the moment. What he says at that time is what it is. Nothing he has said previously or will say later applies to what he says at that particular time. And when they time. talk about, like, who's gonna, who can beat him, who can beat him, in it's like November may as well be 10 years from now, you know? Like, it's, it, the, the idea that you're going to be able to plot and figure out how are we going to beat Donald Trump... It doesn't work. I just don't think anything works the way people are trying to apply rules that no longer apply. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, we we don't know what's going to happen what, because apply that rule to Trump. None of us thought Trump was going to win, including Trump, by the way. Yeah. You know, the night before the election, I was talking to Republicans in the House and the Senate and other folks. Every one of them was convinced Trump would lose. They were going to lose the Senate. Uh, I can't. Maybe the House was going to be gone. They were certainly going to. Uh, be in trouble there so uh, what happened he wins and he was as surprised as anyone that night and i think the weight really hit him so we have you know we can look at all this we have no clue what's going to happen we don't know who the uh, democratic nominee is going to be mike bloomberg is really coming into the conversation though in a way that uh, is surprising people he's not because he hasn't gone through the regular process but right now Who's, who's Trump fighting with? He's fighting with Mike Bloomberg. And, and Bloomberg, and that's the part that, and sorry, Curtis, I know you want to jump in here, but this is the part that is, excites me about the possibility of it being Bloomberg is because he checks every box that's going to get under Trump's skin. He's a, he's Except way, the box that Trump says he wants to stand, stand on, on in yeah. the debate. <laughs> he's, way, he's way more wealthy that's than true. Trump. He's a self-made man. People like him in New York City. He's, you know, and all of the things that, 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 that Trump wants could hit Bernie on and could hit Elizabeth Warren on, he can't really go at Bloomberg on any of those things, and I just. But what does it say about the Democratic Party that two of the the major people you're talking about the nomination are not actually Democrat? He was the Republican mayor of New York City, and Bernie Sanders, you know, is not a Democrat. Yeah, I, mean, I think it says now, bad I mean, things I mean, about the Democratic. I mean, you Party. you're just like, okay, start there. I think they've perfected the Woody Allen thing. I think of of I don't want to be part of of, of Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx. I don't want to be part any of any club that. that would have me as an. Yeah, I think I the Democrats have really taken that to an art form at this point because now we, we you know, but but start there. And, well, they uh, haven't even been able to shame Bernie Sanders really into becoming a Democrat. Uh, kind of the funny thing about that, though, the Trump 
and the Republicans are salivating at the fact of Bernie as the nominee because their whole message. And in Colorado, you heard a lot from Cory Gardner, the senator who's in trouble for re-election here. They're socialists. They're socialists. The Republicans are dying to throw the socialist label on Democrats. And if Bernie is the nominee, it really gives them that chance. However, if Mike Bloomberg is the nominee, it doesn't work. Is there any more capitalistic No, that does not work. No, no, no. Well, let me ask you this. We're talking about Hunter, too. Getting back to that is who, what, you know, what, who would be Hunter's horse in this race? Who do you think he'd be behind, Curtis? You know, I, I actually think uh, I think Hunter would be a Bernie guy. I really do. Yeah, I think I he had uh, um, power to the people. Well, power to the people, and also I think Hunter understood the difference between a consensus election and a turnout election. Uh, and he, we used to discuss that from time to time. And I think, you know, as as he always said, well, once I'm gone, you can just make up anything. And I'm like, well, that's true. And that uh, happened, actually, because people do make up anything <laughs> yeah. now. Oh, sure. And I'm like, I didn't realize that it would be as acceptable, perhaps, as it's become. But I, I think ultimately it would be um, um, if it's a turnout election, you know, let's turn out. Although, you know, Hunter always talked about the youth vote. He said, you know, how disappointing it was it didn't turn out for McGovern. And, but, you know, he backed McGovern and, you know, lost 49 yeah, states. Crushing defeat. So it's a. It, just think of that, though. It was funny to see Ed Muskie back in the news, uh, because people reliving that right now. So, you know, that, that campaign is still vivid to a lot of people, 72. And part of that, I think, is because of Hunter Thompson and uh, the books that were written about it. I, I kind of agree with you. I, I didn't know Hunter Thompson. I could see him embracing Bernie as the rebel, right? Here's the person most taking on the establishment, most taking on Wall Street. But I kind of look at it and go, but he also might like Bloomberg just to, to take on Trump. I can't imagine he would be a Trump guy. No, I don't <laughs> think so. And <laughs> that, I, I'm sure well, of that. Was, uh, you know, he, uh, he surprised me many, many times, but never that much. I don't think he would surprise Yeah, And, and I, I could see, again, with the Bloomberg, I think it would be just because it, it's pretty evident that the person that antagonizes Trump the most at this point is Bloomberg. Right. And I said Bloomberg's speech during the 2016 convention. I was surprised when he came out and delivered that speech that was so acid about Trump. And he even had some ad libs that weren't in the remarks. I was just surprised because, you know, Bloomberg and, and Trump have been around each other. They have no similar people. Bloomberg now is turning that on Trump saying, hey, we all laugh at you behind yeah, the scenes. But I do think that really does get to Trump because he knows Bloomberg is real. He's the real billionaire. He's the real guy who made his money on his own. Now, you know, the politics of Bloomberg, that's that's one thing. But I do think he's the guy, and he's showing it right now. He's willing to fight back against Trump the way that uh, Trump has fought other people. And it hasn't worked so far for others. I mean, Marco Rubio, that was a tremendous flop, right, when he tried to, tried to outright uh, outdo Trump. It's uh, tougher than it looks. It's a little bit yeah. like riding Gonzo. Hunter's stuff looks like... Oh, I'll just I'll just be crazy, and then you start trying to do it, and it's 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 much more structured and disciplined than people think. Oh yeah, but I think the Trumpisms like that. It's uh, he's a natural at it, so yeah. when you try to do it, you and if you're not natural, you're not off bad. And I think Bloomberg seems to be natural <laughs> at it, at least at the beginning he is, and he's trying. He's showing that, listen, I'm not going to let this guy push me around. He's a phony to Mike Bloomberg. He's a phony guy in New York. Why would I put up with uh, attacks from some phony guy? 
Yeah, and that, that that's the part that's always struck me is that Trump, no one calls him out on this fake toughness, you know? He's not a tough guy. He's a soft guy, you know? Like he's not, and, and, and yet he projects this image of toughness and nobody has been able to, certainly Hillary didn't uh, combat it. And, and I think someone like Bloomberg is that guy because deep down inside, Trump knows that Bloomberg's the guy that he kind of wishes he was. You know yeah. what I mean? He wishes, first of all, he wishes of he had his money right. because Bloomberg's you know 70 times over richer than Trump, uh, made it all on himself. Yeah, didn't and, get a check from his Yeah, And people like him in New York City. I think that's a, that's a part that does it, is maybe undercovered is just how much that's got to gnaw at him. He was Mr. New York City, Trump. You know, even people... And now it's like he can't even go there anymore. You well, know, he people... played Mr. New York City on TV anyway. Yeah, on, on TV. But Bloomberg, uh, you know, he does have that good reputation for what he did in New York, but he's going to have to live down certain aspects of this. Uh, and in some ways, Trump is the foil for that. So Mike Bloomberg has some issues with past comments and uh, conduct with women. Uh, but he's running against Trump. So <laughs> it's going to be... Even, like, <laughs> you can't, no matter what, he's stop and frisk, yes, but... He, I was never sued for racism at every apartment building my dad and I owned. Uh, you know, whatever whatever Bloomberg did, Trump did it worse. You yeah. know, so yeah. so it's an it's, interesting foil. But the the Democrats are going to, I think, you're going to see it now, right? They're going to come real hard at Bloomberg. You've already saw they leaked the the, the, the tape right. of, of him. That's going to be the next couple of weeks is going to be. Now's the time we got to nip this in the bud and whatever it takes to bring him down. But that's certain parts of the Democratic Party. There's plenty of Democrats that I talk to in D.C. at a very high level who are like, I think Mike Bloomberg would be a good president. You're hearing that more and more. They're scared, and they're scared not just about the White House. They're scared about control of Congress winning back the Senate. It's one thing uh, you know, to lose to a, a president, but it's also if they've got a chance that they can capture the Senate. But like a Bernie to them, this isn't me, uh, a Bernie presidency could really hurt them in a state like Colorado that they need to win, a state for the Senate seat, a state like Arizona, Iowa, North Carolina. Pennsylvania. Right, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, but at the congressional level. So uh, they kind of look around and go, oh, Bloomberg might not be so bad. He's good on guns for them, and he's really good on climate change, two big progressive issues. Yeah, that's true. It's a it's it's one of the you know, guns is tricky because uh, that's one of the things that you know the you know, Hunter was a lifetime NRA member. He did and, like guns. He did. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because progressives. I was at the I was at the uh, what do you call what's the what do you call it end of it uh, the business. End. I was at the yeah. business end of one of Hunter's guns so, once. I came so, I came within a mad say. I don't. I don't know how close I came to getting you know, my head. Well, he went out with a bang, literally. Yeah, right? well, yeah, no, true. I I walked up to his kitchen window. That was a mistake, unannounced, and said, "Hey, Hunter," into the window. I was. I might have been impaired uh, at the time, and the gun came out. I think it was the three fifty seven. Yeah, he liked the <laughs> right big in my gun, face, and right. I and I remember leaning my head back and going, "This is it. This is the moment." So yeah, he liked Wait, guns. It's me. It's me. Yeah, I did. I screamed. I was like, "It's stand on. It's stand on. It's stand on." <laughs> And maybe I shouldn't have screamed that because he might that might have induced no, him to I'm shoot. Like, I mean, yeah, you might have been you might have been on the bubble there. I know so who it might is. Have been on the bubble. I know who it is. Why do you think I've got the gun? I would have been the bear. You Remember when he bear. shot Deborah? And he said, "Oh, I thought it was a bear." All right. Technically, he did not shoot Deborah. Uh, uh, technically, a ricochet <laughs> struck Deborah. Although, piece, although a the piece message, of metal from a gun hit her. Right? Well, that's true. So, yeah, I, I guess. I, 
it's been said that, uh, that ricochet or not, that's that's a, a, a distinction without a difference. So the the uh, and I also wanted to, to loop back because you brought up early on one of the things I think, which is that that uh, boys on the bus doesn't get the recognition it should. Yeah, no, I think that's it true. is subtitles. It's subtitles to to the campaign trail book. Yeah. And you can you it's so fun to read them together. Yeah, I think I honestly have said this time and again to like college classes or whatever. I said go back and read those two books together and you'll just learn a lot about campaign coverage. But it may be unappreciated, but that term is a ter- it lives on. I mean, everything's boys on the bus, girls on the bus. I mean, he really coined a phrase there. I knew, I would say I I'd have to go back and look. I knew most of the of the people he focused on uh, Adam Clymer very well who uh, worked with me at the Times for a long time not uh, greatly portrayed uh, exactly. it was not favorable to the media yeah in yeah that that long uh, the guys who got out there every day and kind of worked together and agreed on their leads and that sort of thing that's not done as much anymore where well, they know, would sit uh, down in a room and say what's the lead of this of this big story and try and there's figure a out. Uh, Wayne Ewing film that's available now, and it's based on 76. It's called Early Returns. And uh, it it really follows Broder through that election process, and it really shows you, I mean, if you're in in the media, it's like it's such a beautiful thing to see because you can, you can look at it, um, and you can see him sitting there saying, you know, this governor from Georgia is getting a lot of big crowds. I think I'll follow him. And you're like, okay, that's it. That's where Jimmy Carter came from right there. And Iowa. You know, Iowa was becoming a thing at the time. I do like the vision of all these guys running around with their portable typewriters and, and uh, doing it that you way. You do notice the technology because he's calling in these stories like someone's typing them in Washington. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, wow. I have dictated, but it's an art to dictate stories. Nobody does that anymore. and. Uh, or unless unless they're dictating it right into their phone into and their getting phone, it, yeah. it transcribed. But uh, just to talk about Iowa for, for a second, because these guys were focused on Iowa, and this was the beginning of uh, the political coverage of Iowa. I think we've reached the end of that road uh, that <laughs> happened this year. And I do think uh, when I saw on TV the day of the Iowa caucuses, and Hunter Thompson might have liked this, that they, the uh, satellite caucuses of Iowans in Paris – Yes. I go, okay, they've jumped the shark now. But <laughs> yeah. Johnny Apple and uh, those guys, they might have liked to have gone over and covered the satellite Iowa caucuses in Paris. That was my first thought. I'm like, I wonder if the, if that's just someone wanting a trip to Paris and, oh, we'll go cover the caucus. The there. Iowa satellite caucuses. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So uh, we want to thank you for coming on. No, it's great. It's, I love uh, it. uh, it's wonderful. He was, a, he was a huge inspiration to me, 100%. No doubt about it. Played his his uh, writing played a major role in my becoming a political. You writer. should take a ride yeah. up to. You yeah. should take a ride yeah. up to Woody Creek. To pay, and, uh, uh, my respect. Check it out. Yeah. Just don't go to the window. Don't go to the window. <laughs> I think I the still, ghost of Hunter. Thompson. I don't think I still would do it because I feel yeah the ghost might come out and go. <laughs> yeah, right. um, well, listen, uh, Carl Holson, it, Thank you so much for uh, for coming here and doing this with us and uh, and for sharing your uh, stories about Hunter and what he meant to you. Well, the southern gentleman hit the highway and gave us stories we could share of crooked schemes and shattered dreams of people everywhere. Wrote of 
whiskey screams and motel rooms where no one seemed to care. Road of deep, dark, secret places made us feel that we were there.